Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Now, Mario, Mario. Hey, who's ever played Mario before? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's like a ton of people. Um, so, well, welcome to the third part of our message series, Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. We're talking about relationships, and today we're going to learn from Mario. That's right. And by the way, did you know that Mario is the most um, sold character in all of video game history, and it's not even close? Mario, by the way, has appeared in over 200 separate video games. Unbelievable. Now, here's the thing. How many of you know what the first video game Mario appeared in? Anybody know the very first one that Mario appeared in? Donkey Kong. It's right. I heard it. It was Donkey Kong. He appeared in that old video game. Um, That was the very first time Mario ever appeared. And by the way, this week I did did quite a bit of research and the backstory of Mario and video gaming, and those are you know hours I'll never get back in my life, unfortunately. But uh, the backstory of Donkey Kong, I never knew. The backstory is is that Donkey Kong was uh, mistreated by his master Mario, who actually didn't have the name Mario at the time, was mistreated, and so Donkey Kong escapes. But Donkey Kong decides that he is going to take revenge on his former master and so steals his girlfriend, who later becomes Princess Peach, and, um, and, 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 and takes her away, kidnaps her. Which, by the way, can you imagine your girlfriend being stolen by your former pet monkey, right? I mean... It, just makes you want to, you know, bang barrels with a hammer, right? That's exactly what it does. So anyway, uh, so the backstory, so bottom line, Mario is betrayed by um, Donkey Kong. Now, my favorite Mario game, however, was Mario Kart. That's my game. Anybody ever play Mario Kart before? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, quite a few adults, you play Mario Kart. Mario Kart was awesome because in that game, it's Mario against everybody. You know, Mario's a pretty likable guy, but in that game, it's Mario versus everybody. You know, Bowser, the entire Koopa race, uh, Luigi, Toad, Yoshi, even Princess Peach. Now look, if you have no idea what the world I'm talking about, Look, you got to quit, quit spending so much time with people and spend more time on the couch, all right? That's what, that's what you got to do. But in that game, I lo- part I love about Mario Kart the most is that in that game, you can get some shells and you can sm- you send them out as missiles and you just smack other people with them and that, man, they'll never see it coming. I mean, it gets them from behind and then all of a sudden they're driving along and then they just get hit by one of these things and they just spin out into the wall. It's the best part of the whole game. I love it. Now, here's the thing. When I think about betrayal, betrayal has a lot of similarities with Mario. Because think about it. All of Mario is based on the premise of betrayal. Mario betrays Donkey Kong by mistreating him, and then Donkey Kong betrays Mario back and takes revenge by stealing his girlfriend. And a 
a lot of betrayal has revenge in it because we feel like we've got to get back at the one that betrayed us. And then when it comes to, you know, Mario Kart, a lot of times when we, you know, betray someone or when someone betrays us, we never see it coming. I mean, just out of the blue and all of a sudden emotionally we've spun out and into the wall. And I think that's what hurts the most about betrayals because not only do we never see it coming, but oftentimes it comes from someone that is close to us. And it causes a lot of pain in our lives. And we look, we've all experienced betrayal at some point and at some level. And then sometimes it's at a very, you know, surfacey level <clears throat> because maybe someone that we've trusted betrays our confidence. And not that that doesn't cause damage. It can cause some very serious damage. But sometimes the betrayal is escalated a little bit. Maybe someone at your work steals your idea and claims it as their own. Or maybe your manager or supervisor leaves the company to go start something of their own and doesn't invite you to come. Or maybe someone that you counted as a close friend doesn't have your back when somebody else is talking about you. Or maybe it... It's a, it, maybe it's a betrayal of the worst kind. Maybe it's a fiancé who breaks things off. Or maybe it's a spouse who has an affair. I'm telling you, that kind of betrayal brings some incredibly deep, deep, deep pain. Look, and, it, and it's okay to feel that kind of pain, and it's okay to feel that kind of heart because it's natural. And it's perfectly acceptable. But here's the thing. If, you hold, if we hold on to that pain, then that pain eventually turns into bitterness and resentment and anger. And then at that point, it sabotages not only that relationship, but all other relationships. But here's one thing that all betrayal, no matter at what level it is, what all betrayal has in common. All betrayal has in common a breach of trust. All betrayal is a breach of trust at some level because the person that we trusted, even if it's, they betrayed something in confidence, we can no longer trust that person. And so what we do, we keep that person at arm's length because we don't want them to hurt us anymore. And so we keep them at arm's length. And the problem with that is that it causes us not just to keep them at arm's length, but future relationships, we tend to keep other people at arm's length because we don't want them to betray us either. And what that does is that makes us become isolated and it contributes to a feeling of a lack of genuine friendships. And so we become lonely. So what, 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 what do we do? What does God want me to do? Because here's the thing. We're all going to experience betrayal at some point. So what does God want me to do? Well, let's look at what happens to Jesus when he was betrayed. In fact, on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was betrayed not once, but twice. Now, the first was pretty obvious. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, betrays Jesus by leading the Roman guards to where he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then they, you know, they tie Jesus up and lead him away. But Jesus is betrayed a second time that same night by another disciple named Peter because Peter 
betrays the, his friendship with Jesus, but d- by denying that he even knows Jesus. And he does it three times. So it's from this story that we learn some lessons about how God wants us to handle betrayal. So let's look at what happens in Luke chapter 22, verse, beginning of verse 4, 4, 54. This is just after uh, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. So here's what happens. Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord, and that's Jesus, turned and looked straight at Peter because Peter was on one side of the courtyard. Jesus was on the other side of the courtyard going through a trial from the high priest and other officials. So Jesus looked straight at Peter and their eyes locked. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. See, on the very night that Jesus needed someone most, he, when the very night that Jesus, more than any other time in his life, needed someone to stand with him, the, the night that Jesus needed a, a true friend, that was the night that Peter betrayed his friendship by denying that he even knew Jesus three times. Now, the, the, key, to, the key difference between Jesus and us in this story is that Jesus knew ahead of time that the betrayal was going to happen. You know, the worst part about betrayal for us is that we don't know it's going to happen, but Jesus knew. He knew ahead of time that Peter was was going to betray him. You know, now I'll be honest with you, I don't know what's worse. Not knowing or knowing ahead of time that somebody's going to betray you and still having a relationship with them. But regardless, it was incredibly painful for Jesus. So, how does the Lord want me to handle betrayal in my life? Well, here's what I, here, here they are. There's three things we're going to have time, time, have time to talk about. So here's the first one. I didn't remember that God's plan for me is still intact. First thing I need to know is that God's plan for me is still intact. See, I think one of the most harmful things about betrayal is that we think that at that point, um, that the, the betrayal of that other person has somehow robbed us of our future. That there's something about my future that is now going to be less than it could be. That, you know, whether it means that I think that I might have a bad reputation or that other people are going to think ill about me or that I might have to change jobs or careers or change friend groups or, you know, maybe it even leads to divorce. But regardless of what the consequence is, a lot of times, we believe that our that that betrayal leads to a different future for us and that that future is adversely affected and honestly from a human point it might seem that way but even though it seems that way it's not that way not according to god because what you think about the night that jesus was betrayed 
when Judas betrayed Jesus, and um, and and he you know sold you know his knowledge of where Jesus was going to be for thirty pieces of silver. When Judas betrayed Jesus, was God's plan for Jesus? over at that point. Now, the conspirators who set all that up, they thought so. They thought, ha, we got him. But instead, that betrayal actually played into God's hands so that Jesus would be crucified and become the Savior of the world. Think about when Peter betrays Jesus. When Peter betrayed Jesus by denying him three times, you would think, well, that that would be such an isolating experience for Jesus that that might even cause Jesus to cave. But instead, what it does is it makes Jesus more relatable for us because Jesus then sets the example of what it's like to follow God when you're all alone. And so God's plan comes to pass. And so the lesson for us is that no matter what kind of betrayal you might experience, God's ultimate plan for you is still intact. It's still intact. And I don't know, some of you might be thinking, you're like, whoa, hold on, Pastor Mike, wait a minute. What about divorce? Because if I'm betrayed by, by being divorced, then how is that, you know, God's plan staying intact? Because the person I thought I was going to end life with, I no longer am, and God hates divorce. Okay. That's a good point because the truth is the Bible does say that God does hate divorce. But I would absolutely disagree that that means that God's plans for your life are no longer intact. They are. Because God's plan for you to be happy, to where God can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish in you and through you, that you know God's plan for you to even be happy in marriage All those plans are still intact, and it can happen for you. It's happened for so many other people. So just because someone else betrays you, that does not mean that God's plans are no longer intact. Ultimately, get this. God's plans cannot be ruined by someone else's betrayal. They don't have that kind of power. They can't ruin God's plans. Now, it might feel that way, but it is not that way. I want you to look at this next verse. It's, it's one that's so frequently quoted by people that when we're going through a really hard, hard time. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that in all things, including betrayal, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And the reason this verse is so often quoted is because it packs so much truth into one sentence. And it gives us hope. Because God is bigger than any betrayal. Because look, here's the thing. If you somehow believe that God is handcuffed by someone else's betrayal of you, then you don't have a big enough view of God. Then you don't view God as powerful enough, as majestic enough as he really is. Because there is no betrayal that can thwart God's plans for your life. God's plans for you are still intact. And you know what that does? (laughs) That prevents you from hanging on to bitterness and anger and resentment because you know, like, you know what? What God has for me can't be thwarted. God's plans for me are still intact no matter what that other person does to me. And so it frees you 
from that kind of bitterness and anger. And it, and it frees you from, being, from ruining other relationships in your life, okay? So look, be happy that we serve a God that is big enough that his plans remain intact no matter what. All right, here's the second one. Number two, second thing we learn is this, is that I need to let God deal with that person and not me. I need to let God deal with that person and not me. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but, and I want you to underline this rest of this phrase, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. Look, so let me, let me ask you this. When Peter betrays Jesus by denying him three times, when Peter betrays Jesus, what does Jesus do? When Jesus locks eyes with Peter across the courtyard, does Jesus start calling him names? I mean, does, does Jesus start yelling at him for what he's done? Even after Jesus is resurrected a few days later, does, does Jesus at that point just give Peter the cold shoulder and pretend like he doesn't even know him? No. What, what does Jesus do? Nothing. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't, in fact, when Judas betrays Jesus, the Bible says that Judas was actually possessed by Satan himself in that moment. What does Jesus do to Judas? I mean, you'd think that Jesus, you know, would like turn him into a frog or something. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. So he doesn't do anything. Jesus lets God handle it. Now look, I know you're, some of you might be thinking, well, hold on there, Pastor Mike. Jesus is God because, you know, he's God come in the flesh. Okay, look, hold on there, like Bible smarty, Okay. Jesus, God the Son, lets God the Father handle it. Jesus does nothing. Jesus does exactly what the Bible says. He makes room for God's wrath. Jesus doesn't take matters into his own hands. And neither should you. See, if you take revenge... If you try to hurt that other person, you know, if you try you know, to zing that other person, you take matters in your hands, you are betraying that person just like they already betrayed you. That's what you're doing in that moment. And so when you take revenge, the Bible says that you are taking up all of that room that should have been left for God's wrath. You're taking up all that space when you take revenge, look, and, and I know sometimes it seems like they're getting away with it. It seems like, you know, they're happy and you're left holding all the pain. And you know what? That might be true. For a time. For a time. But God will be the one who takes care of that in his time. That's not your job. So leave room for his wrath. And honestly, look, that's a lot better than whatever petty little thing that you're going to come up with to do. Because look, whatever you do, it won't really make you feel better anyway. What will make you feel better is if you trust God with it and you put it in his hands. Because when you do, then you can put that pain away and it no longer controls you. That's good news. All right. Here's number three. 
Third thing we learn is this, is that I need to make it easy to reconcile. I need to make it easy to reconcile. Look what happens between Jesus and Peter after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, John do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I'm not going to talk about this passage for a long time because I've actually taught on this passage twice in the last year. But there's a couple things that I want you to see that we have yet to talk about. Here's the first. Did you notice that nowhere in this passage does Peter ever apologize to Jesus? Have you ever picked up on that before? Peter never apologizes for betraying Jesus. Now get this. Peter knows what he did. And Jesus knows that Peter knows what he did. That's why Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times, you know, do you love me? To remind Peter of the three times that he denied knowing Jesus. So Peter knows what he did. And Jesus knows that Peter knows what he did. But get this. Jesus reconciles with Peter without ever demanding an apology. And Peter never offers one, ever. But at the end of this, Peter and Jesus are okay. In fact, Peter's loyalty to Jesus goes sky high because Peter, several years later, gives his life as a martyr for Jesus. So you know what all that means? For us, it means don't make it hard for someone else to reconcile with you. Don't make it difficult. In, in fact, in this passage, Jesus is the one that makes the first move. In that relationship, you might have to be the first one to make the first move. And when you do, don't make reconciling hard. Even if that other person is too prideful to apologize or even too prideful to even admit that they're wrong, don't take the position of like, well, you know what? If they're not willing to apologize, then I'm not willing to forgive. I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't demand anything and he offered his forgiveness freely. He made it easy to reconcile. Because look, even if that other person never apologizes, that's okay. Even if that person, even if they never even admit that they've ever done anything wrong, that's okay. Because what honors God is when you do everything you can to reconcile that relationship. Look at this final verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. God says, do everything possible on your part to live at peace with everybody. Now, here's the thing. You might not be able to live at peace with everybody because not everybody is open to reconciling with you. There are just some people who just refuse to do it. But you do everything in your power to reconcile with that person. Do everything that you can do to reconcile. That's what he's getting at. That's what he's saying here. 
Because look, here's the thing. You can spend the rest of your life hanging on to bitterness, anger, and resentment. And you can spend the rest of your life, you know, just trying to take revenge on people for what they've done for you and done to you in the past. But why would you want to? Why, why would you want to do that? So you know what you need to do? You need to stop. You gotta stop hanging on to all of that bitterness and anger and resentment. You gotta stop. You gotta collaborate with God and say, okay, God, what is it you want to do in my life? And what do you want me to do as a result? And then you've got to listen to Him as He leads you to reconcile those relationships with other people. Because, look, here's the deal. It's much easier to forgive once you realize how much you've been forgiven. It's much easier to forgive once you realize you, how much you've been forgiven. Because look, as Christ followers, we know this to be true. Because we know that Jesus has forgiven us for everything we've ever done. And every time we sin, that's basically us betraying God, betraying Jesus. And so when we realize how many times Jesus has forgiven us for so much, it becomes so much easier to forgive another person. Because it's easier to forgive once we know how much we've been forgiven. So look, if you've never received the forgiveness of Christ, you, you, you should start there. And you do that by asking Jesus to come into your heart, heart and forgive you. Because when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he died so, so that you wouldn't have to pay the price for your sin, so he did it for you on the cross. And when you ask him to forgive you, He'll forgive you for everything you've ever done. And you can go to heaven when you die. So if you've never done that, I need you to pray the prayer that's at the bottom of your message notes. But if you've already prayed that prayer before, then you know. You know. It's easier to forgive once you realize how much you've been forgiven. And let me just be transparent here for just a second. In the very recent past, I've experienced some pretty serious betrayal in my own personal life. I'm not going to give you any of the details because that is still in process of being reconciled. And I'm also not going to give any details because that per although that person does not attend church here, has never attended church here, on the outside chance that person might ever listen to the podcast of this message, I would never want to put that relationship in jeopardy. But that betrayal has been extremely painful because I never saw it coming. And here's the truth. I've worked through the first two points of this, but I'm still working through number three. But I truly believe that God is going to reconcile that relationship as I continue to trust Him. And He'll do the exact same thing for you if you will trust Him too. Trust Him and do what He says to do. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, I, I, I want to say thank you for the example, Lord Jesus, that you set on how you handled betrayal. 
and I ask that you would help us to follow your example. And I, I pray for every single person listening today that's ever been betrayed, which honestly, truthfully, is every single one of us. So I pray for every single one of us that you would help us to realize that your plans for us are still intact, that nothing is ever put in jeopardy by anybody else's betrayal, and that we need to just step out and leave room for you to handle it. And that above all, Lord, that you would make it easy for us to reconcile with other people. And so I ask that you would take those relationships that have been in jeopardy and have been strained, that you would help us to do everything possible on our part to make those things right. And I ask that you would bring us back next week so that we can learn more of how you want to change our relationships. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.